scriptures before I could read them. I found them to be true. That's why I believe them. With all of my heart, my soul, and my strength, with every song I sing, I choose to be
When we get to heaven, brother, we'll be glad. Keep on the firing line. How we'll praise the Savior for the call we had. Keep on the firing line. When we see the souls that we have helped to win, leading them to Jesus from the paths of sin, with the shout of welcome, we will all march in. So keep on the firing line. You must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run, nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. You must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run, nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. Now I have to admit, I asked them to do that. I thought, what better song before you have an ordination? Amen? Amen. Thank you, Pastor. God bless you. Appreciate it. <coughs> Well, it's good to be here tonight. Let me uh, start out. Tonight will be a little different the way I preach tonight because I want to preach to these, primarily to these men and their wives and primarily to the young men. That will not, I will not exclude you, but I want to include you as much as I normally would. This is a very uh, wonderful night. It's uh, an honor, first of all, for me to be here. It's an honor I'm here anytime I'm here. It's an honor. But to be here for these two young men's ordination is quite, a, is, is quite an honor that I don't take lightly. And that I'm, I'm privileged to be here. It's great to have Brother Ricky Brown here, who is Brad's youth pastor, who invested a lot in him. It's good to have Brad's parents and his granddad here, and uncle, I believe, who have invested much in him. And you know, no man in this room is self-made. No young lady is self-made. You are the results of a lot of people who have invested their time, their energy, their money, and their life in you. And so we have a lot to be grateful for. I know that I'm in the ministry because a lot of people invested in me, starting with my parents all the way down. I know that I'm in the ministry today because I have a wife, ladies, who has given herself to help me to succeed. First thing I did was I took her away from her family and moved her 500 miles away from her family, and she was very close to her family. But she's been a helpmate. For example, she's going to help me right now. Bring me my, my iPad. Being <laughs> 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 how the notes are on there, it would be helpful if I had it. Thank you, sir. Kevin, they said you were a good guy. I didn't believe it until now. <laughs> I know that, Josh, you've had parents and a church who've invested in you, and that's obvious, grandparents. And thank God for those who've invested their lives in you. And I know you had a youth pastor invested in you likewise. And so, you know, there's so many people that have given themselves for us. And for these young men to be at this point in their life, this is a special night in their life and, uh, to be ordained to the ministry. I know they're already in the ministry, but there's something special about a church saying, we believe in you and we believe in you enough that we're going to ordain you. By the way, the council met tonight 
and, and we questioned them and talked to them and et cetera, and we voted to, uh, to ordain them. But honestly, it's not just the men and the pastor here that are ordaining these men, even though we'll be the one that lays hands on them. It's you. It's all of you in this room who are saying, we're going to ordain these young men for the gospel ministry. Wherever God leads them, wherever God has them in the future, we're laying our hands on them to say, these men, we believe, are, are prepared and ready to serve God with their life and with their heart. And you know, in the Bible days, they, they did that. They, they, the church felt like they were ready, and they laid hands on them, and they sent them out to do a great work. We're not sending them anywhere right now. They're going to stay right here, as far as I know, unless I do something I don't know. But you know, it's amazing that we get the privilege to do this and to be a part of an ordination service. And so again, tonight will be just a little bit of a different type message. And uh, then this morning... Brad goes to his Sunday school class and turns to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm not turning to 2 Timothy chapter 2 tonight. That's not where I was at. But then he went from there to over to Ezra chapter 7, which I am going to talk loud of tonight. And he, if you were in his Sunday school class, you heard him say some things. I'm going to repeat just briefly, but I'm going to put it more personal to them and to all of us in this room, but primarily to them. Have your Bibles, please. Turn to Ezra chapter 7. I'll not try to read all the names to start out with. I, I'll just say this was on the reign of Arzexes and, um, and uh, the king of Persia. And, and Ezra here, the son of Zariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah. Now, rather than reading all these names, I'm going to pass over some of them. By the way, I practiced and I can say most of their names. All right? But I'm going to pass on that. I want to go down to verse number 6. If you'll follow along. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given, and the king granted him, him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Now, if you would, look down at verse number 10. And this is where he went to this morning. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So this morning, or this evening, I want you to notice, if you would, some important thoughts. But I want to read just a couple more verses, if I may. Because in this passage, and there are many times when God uses this term in the Word of God here. The law of the Lord and then the hand of God. It's very important. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the service and on this ordination challenge. Father, I need you. I need you. I need you. Would you meet with us tonight? Thank you for this church. Thank you for their investment in these young men's life, in their wives' life. And Lord, as these young men are being ordained for the gospel ministry, I pray that you would do something special in their heart tonight. I pray, Father, that they'll remember this night and what you did in their lives. And, Father, I pray as we meet, as we share the Word of God, that you'll use it to challenge all of us in our lives. Challenge me, Father. I pray you'll bless now. May everything that's said and done tonight Honor and glorify you. In Christ's name, amen.
In Ezra chapter 7, as I said, the Bible starts off very much so with some challenges for us. I was reading this passage a couple months ago. I knew I was coming to preach. And I was reading this passage. And as I read it, it was like God said, this is it. This is what I want you to give to these young men. This is what I want you. Now, I got another message that I've outlined. And it's from out out of uh, uh, Timothy. And the title of it is this simple thing. From an old man to a young man. A challenge from an old man to a young man. The old man being Paul. I'm an old man. To the young man being Timothy. These young men are young men. And so, but God wouldn't let me preach that, even though it would have been something I would have enjoyed preaching. But he wanted me, I believe, to share with these young men about three simple thoughts tonight, because I know it's going to be a long night, and I want to be as brief as possible, but I want to be as thorough as possible. Now, in this passage, I want you to notice this. Look at verse 14 with me. For as much as thou art sent of the king... And of the seven counselors to inquire concerning Jude and Jerusalem according to the law of thy God, which is in thy hand. I want to start out tonight, first of all, by saying this. I have the law of the Lord in my hand. Young men, you have in your hands and ladies across your lap the law of God. This past week, you had in this church a conference called a King James Conference on the Word of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the Word of God's powerful. And sharpen, sharpen any two-edged sword. And gentlemen, it is sharpened any two-edged sword. You can try to defeat the enemy any way you want to. But let me remind you. Let me remind you, number one, that the importance of the law of God in your life. Look, we can learn all about how we ought to have the right Bible. We can learn all about how we ought to, how, how it's the King James Bible. And I believe that. But it's of no avail unless I take that Bible and I realize what it can do in my life. Let me remind you that in the book of Matthew, Jesus was tempted. And as the devil took him up and he gave him three major temptations there. And on every one of them, on every one of them, Amen. gentlemen, Jesus said to this, to the devil, it is written. He didn't say, let me give you a philosophy. And it's okay to have a philosophy. I'm not against that. But he never said, let me give you a philosophy. Let me remind you who I am. Even though he could have done that and he was God in the flesh, he said to him, gentlemen, it is written. And that's what he told him every time. It's written. He gave him the word of God. You know, this morning Brad said it, and I'm going to repeat it again. In that verse number 10, he said this to him. And listen closely. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of God. He decided he was going to learn what God had for him. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I say. What matters is what God thinks and what God says. And if I want to know what God thinks, Brother Ricky, I find out in this book. This is the Word of God. This is not my counsel. This is not your counsel. This is not their counsel. This is God's counsel. And when God went to defeat the devil, he used the word of God. And gentlemen, you're going to fight the devil from now on out. Always fight the devil. You know, I I sing the song, the sun's coming up in the morning. And one of the verses says that in this morning, the devil came in to fight me. And you know what? 
You're going to defeat the devil the same way Jesus did. He gave us the, the, the perfect example of defeating the devil. And I challenge you tonight to make that Bible the most important book you'll ever read. I'm not against reading books. I am against reading books. You better guard what books you read and what those people that write those books are teaching. But gentlemen, let me say this very kindly. You better make this book the theme of your life. He said, seek to learn it. And then he says this, and then what does he say to do? He says in verse 10, the law of the Lord and to do it. He said, I want you to practice it. It's one thing to know, it's another thing to practice what you know. And as Brad said so well this morning, great, uh, wonderful uh, Sunday school lesson. You got to do what it says. And as he quoted out of the book of James, the Bible says, we're not just be hearers of the word, but doers. And the truth is, gentlemen, you're never going to make it in the ministry and stay long if you don't make this book the prime thing in your life. And ladies, may, may I challenge you too, you got to make it the main thing in your life. I mean, the Bible's got to be your best friend. If it's not, you won't make it because the devil will find some way, the devil will find some way to undercut you and to cause you to fall by the wayside. He'll do it with false doctrine. He'll do it with, with lust. He'll do it with the lust of the flesh, lust of eyes, and pride of life. And let me tell you what I mean by pride of life. I mean these guys that think they know more than everybody else because they've read more books and they've done this. Listen, brother, what they need to do is get back to the book. 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 And I'm not talking about any book. I'm talking about this book. And I challenge you as a church. Hey, listen. Listen to me. Hey, from the recesses over here to over here, everybody in this room, you better get to the book. Run to the book. All of us fight the devil. All of us fight the devil. You better run to the book. That's the only thing to keep you pure and clean. That's the only way. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee, the Bible says. For all shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to the word. Over and over. By thy word we're warned, he says in Psalm 19. Get in the book. Get in the book. Make the book the primary thing in your life. I mean, when you go to preach, don't preach what you think. Preach what God says. Whosoever, let me give you, here's a warning, young men. Matthew 5, 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, least, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great. In the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. Preach the word. 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 You have no right to preach what you think. The only thing you have a right to do is preach what God says. I have no authority. I'm a nobody. He's everybody. And if you'll make, listen to me, young men. If you'll make the Bible the primary thing in your life. Before you do anything else, do the Bible. Make it the primary thing in your life. When somebody comes to you with a question, you don't know the answer, go to the book and find the answer for them. But don't rim-rom around and say, well, let me see. I think we don't care what you think. What does God say? And if you don't know the answer, tell them, you know what? I don't know the answer, but I'll get it for you, and I'll come back and tell you. Because this book has the answer. You just may have to dig a while to find it or make some phone calls. It has it right here. Do you hear me, church? This book has the answer. 
Most people take this book, they come in on Sunday morning, and they bring it in here. Well, wait a minute, they get up on Sunday morning, and then they bring it in here, and they open it up, and they're spiritual giants. And they go home on Sunday night and lay it down, and, and unless they come on Wednesday night, it's not opened again all week. God help us. No wonder we're falling to the wayside. No wonder we are. No wonder we're having problems in our marriages. Look, I'm going to tell you what. A marriage falling apart may mean that the Bible is not falling apart. If your Bible is falling apart because you spent so much time in it, praying over it, reading over it, crying over it, trying to make it a part of your life, your marriage won't fall apart. And your marriage won't fall apart. And can I say something? Listen closely. These young men and these young ladies are not perfect. I am, but they're not. Okay, now I'll tell the truth. They're not and I'm not. And if you're looking for perfection in them, you're never going to find it. They're going to make mistakes. And that's where you've got to stick with this book. But I'll tell you what, if you'll stick in that book, you'll make a lot less mistakes. A whole lot less. These guys are trying to philosophize their way out of how to serve God. Everybody's got a new method. It works. I'm not against new methods. But I think it'd be wise to get back to what the Bible says. Yeah, but you realize we're living in a new world and you can't do things today like you used to could do. You can do things like the Bible said you used to, that they did back in those days still works. In your marriage. Look, if every man in this room loved their wife like Christ loved the church, there would be no divorces. There would be no friction in the, fa- in the marriage. None. Zero. Zilch. Nana. Nil. That nil means as one to nil, you know, like soccer term for you that soccer people, right? See how brilliant I am? I even have soccer down. That's all I know, but at least I knew that. <laughs> Gentlemen, the book. Doesn't matter what anybody else says, the book. Doesn't matter what's the book say. Well, Brother So-and-so, he's a great man, and he said, what's the book say? If he disagrees with the book, disagree, you just stay away from him and agree with the book. Number one, my first challenge is this. Stay in the book. Stay in the book. Preach the book. Love the book. Live the book. Practice the book. You know what he says? And to teach in Israel statutes and judgment. Teach and preach the book. Bathe yourself in the word of God. Bathe your mind in the word of God. Bathe your heart in the word of God. Number two. I want you to notice this, if you would. Five times. In chapter 7 and 8 of Ezra, the Bible uses this term. The hand of God upon us, or the hand of God upon you. Now, that's interesting. Go back to verse number 6. Last part says, he says, And grant, the king granted them, him all his requests, talking about Ezra, according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. The hand of the Lord is God upon him. I believe that the hand of God upon him is a picture or a symbol of the power and blessing of God upon him. I believe it symbolizes the Holy Spirit's fullness in your life. And that king saw something in Ezra that was real. He saw God working in his life. He saw the presence and the working and the power and the blessing of God on Ezra. You'll make it in the ministry, and you'll be what you ought to be when the, when the hand of God's all over you. When the hand of God's present in your life. Look, you cannot do it in your power. You can't preach in your power. You can't teach in your power. 
You can't sing in your power. You can't minister in your power. You can't counsel in your power. You can't visit the sick in your power. You'll become a dud, zero, zilch if God doesn't take over. I'm going to tell you how good we are. We're nobodies. It has nothing to give anybody. It's all God. It's all about Jesus. And the minute you realize that and let God's power rest upon you, the quicker God can use you and God can use you in a special way. Gentlemen, they saw something in those men, in Ezra, in those men that was different. And because of it, an ungodly king gave him some unbelievable rights and abilities and privileges because he saw something on him. Let me say this. Look at verse 6 again. He answered his request according to the hand of God upon him. Let me say this. First of all, when the hand of God's upon you, God will give you favor. He gave him favor with the king. Does the Bible say that Jesus grew in stature and in, and in wisdom and in favor with and man? You can have favor with people, and you need it. God said this in this passage. The hand of God was on him. It, and he granted his request according to the hand of God upon him. Let me say, second of all, the hand of God upon you gives, you, gives us strength. Look at chapter 7, verse 28. And hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord thy God was upon me, and I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. As the hand of God was upon me, I was strengthened. God will give you the strength to do the work he's called you to do when the hand of God's all over you. When you get the power and the blessing of God on you and the Spirit of God working in your life, God will give you the strength to do the things you never thought you could do. Somebody will rip your face off and you'll respond not ripping their face back off. You'll respond with kindness and with words of kindness and you'll pray for them. How can the world, can you pray for somebody who despitefully uses you? How can you pray for your enemy? I'll tell you how you can do it. When the hand of God's on you, you can do things you never thought you could do it. His power, His power will be in your life. His strength will be there to do what you never thought you could do it. You'll go out somewhere maybe one day and pastor and somebody else, some deacon, it's, it should be renamed demon, but he's a deacon. will try to straighten you out and tell you where you're all wrong. And you'll be able to answer him with a kind spirit and everybody will go, wow, how did he answer after the way that guy treated him so kindly? How was he able to do that? I'll tell you how. He had the strength to do it because the hand of God was on him. That's how. The hand of God upon him gave them favor. The hand of God gave them strength. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 18 says, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's words, which he had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Because the hand of my God was good upon me. I say, not only was the hand of God upon them gave them favor and gave them strength, but it also gave them deliverance. Ezra chapter 8 says this in verse 31. Then we departed in the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go up into Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, 
and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and of such as lay in wait by the way. Wow. The hand of God upon him brought deliverance. You're going to need to be delivered from some situations in your life. Satan's going to make sure he battles you, fights you, and puts you in precarious situations. And the enemy's going to attack you. If you think there's going to be no attacks, you need to forget this ordination stuff and go home and do something different. Because you're going to be attacked. Good people's going to attack you. Your friends are going to attack you. Some of them are going to mock you because you don't change like they did. And they're going to call you a legalist. They're going to say you're pharisaical. They're going to say all kinds of things about you. And you've got to learn how to handle that with the strength that you need and with God giving you what you need to handle it. And the truth is, God's going to deliver you. He's going to deliver you with his good hand upon you. See, the power and presence of God, the blessing of God is what's going to deliver you from those problems. It's not how smart you are. You may be brilliant, but you're never going to be more brilliant than the devil and his demons. The hand of God was upon them. What happened? Gave them favor. What happened? Gave them strength. What happened? Gave them deliverance. Now look, if you would, please, at verse 21 of chapter 8. <clears throat> then I proclaimed the fast there at the river of Havilah, and we might, that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek him a, a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. Now, I want you to notice something. Then he says this, For I was ashamed to require the Lord a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. Because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hands of our God is upon all of us for good that seeketh him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsaken. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. Now notice this. Watch it. They had gone and said to the king, Hey, our God's real. He's powerful. He'll give us direction. He'll give us protection. He'll take care of us. And then they got to thinking, and then they ran into some difficulties. And it's like, well, wait a minute now. Uh, now what are we going to do? Well, if we go back and tell the king and ask him to send soldiers to help us, then what we're saying is God really can't protect us. By the way, the world's watching us, ladies and gentlemen. And we make bold statements like that. Our God will take care of us. And then we go on, and don't get mad at me now. And then we go on, go fund me and say, can somebody pay my bills for me? I'm not against GoFundMe, so don't you go out here and say, Brother Man's against GoFundMe. I tell you what I'm against. I'm against a Christian who says God will take care of all their needs. Go to GoFundMe and say, Would y'all take care of my needs? Because God won't. You know, I'll never forget, gentlemen, after I had a heart attack, I used an illustration this morning, I'll use another tonight. After I'd had a heart attack, <clears throat> and they transferred me to the other hospital, and <clears throat> I didn't. I went out of it on the way after I got there. I, I didn't wake back up. I remember some of the stuff going down the hallways and the flight and the, and the helicopter. And then I got there and they put me, they, they, they did put a stent in and did some stuff. And I don't remember any of that until the next day. I don't know, sometime the next morning. Sheila's in there with me and, and I started waking up, coming to. I still couldn't open my eyes. They were swollen shut, so I couldn't open my eyes. If, if somebody did like this, I could see. Unless somebody held them open. I couldn't do it because I had my arms tied down and a uh, thing down my throat and everything. And uh, so I was intubated. 
Well, later that afternoon, I kept begging. Right, they'd undo my hand, and I'd write a note saying, "Please take this out. I promise I'll be a good boy if y'all just take it out. I'll do anything. Just take this out of my throat." And finally, they did late that afternoon, about three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And that night, I got to thinking. Sheila says to me, "Ricky, you know that things have got to change." And she said, "Ricky." They say you may have to change your lifestyle. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't hang around with those who do. That's why I quit hanging around Brother Ricky Brown. I can't hang around. I just don't do that. We was driving down the road, and he said, I said, you got to get out, Ricky, or I got to get out. I'm teasing. I did ride down the road with a friend of mine, and I said that, and he said, stop the car and let me out. <laughs> he had the stuff right there. Anyway, I don't, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't cuss. What am I going to change? And Sheila said, Ricky, you may not be able to do what you do at the college and preaching and so forth. And honestly, gentlemen, my heart sunk. Today I ask you all this question. Tell me about your call in your life. I got called to preach. I know God called me to preach. Now all at once, God, what are you doing? I went to college to be a preacher. I didn't go and take, and, and, and all this computer stuff just came up later. And I'm about as dumb as a concrete block on it. I mean, okay, so I can't sit there and use a computer because I don't know how. And really, the devil jumped on me, gentlemen, with all fours. And when you're sick, sometimes that's what he does. And I'm laying there that night by myself, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? God, this, this don't seem right. You call me to preach. Now I can't preach. That's what Sheila's telling me. The doctor said I can't do this anymore. But God, you called me to do it. What am I going to do? God, really, what am I going to do? And I was low. I was so low, I could have gone out those doors without opening them. I mean, I was, in, I, was, I, was, I was down where the old guy said where the whale spit is. I was at the bottom of the bottom. And I remember the verse that says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And so I said, look, I can complain to everybody else in the world, but it won't change nothing. So I went to God and I said, God, I don't know what to do. I'm discouraged. I'm on the bottom. How am I going to take care? I, I got children at home. I, I still got three children at home. I got a wife. How am I going to pay the bill? What am I going to do? If I can't work, what am I going to do? And I griped and complained for a few minutes and cried. And then it was, I didn't hear any voices. But in my heart and mind, this came in. You mean I can't take care of you now? After all this time, I've been taking care of you. And you've been telling people how I take care of you. And now I can't do it anymore. And I just said, oh God, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I'm a wicked heathen. I'm so sorry. Forgive me, Father. Oh, forgive me for my lack of faith. I know you can take care of me. I know you're the great God. I know you can do it. I'm so sorry. May I say, he took care of me. Gentlemen, you get the hand of God on you and let God do something and he'll protect you and direct you. He'll take care of you. And Ezra said, I can't go back to those people after I've told them this. I can't go back to the king and say, hey, send us a band of army. A band, give us an army. Send us a band of men to help protect us. God will have to do it. 
And I said, young men, the good hand of God on you, he'll protect you. He'll take care of you. You'll never have anything that God doesn't know you need. You may not get your desires. You may not get your wants, but you'll always get your needs. I'm getting old, and I'm going to tell you now, I've never seen, as the Bible says, the righteous begging bread. If you'll go to God, he'll always meet your needs. Always, always, always. You know how I know that? Because it's in this book right here. And God never, ever, ever lies. And you make dead sure you decide that now, that God will take care of you. So I said, number one, let me hasten. I said, number one, make the book the central theme in your life. May the hand of God, the power and presence and blessing of God be upon you. And you know what? He even told him how to get it. He said, the good hand of God is upon them that seek him. You want the power of God on your life? Then start paying the price to get it. You go to God, and while others are playing games, you go to God and pray. While others are doing their little things, you fast and pray and ask God to do something in your life. You know those goals you talked about tonight that God put in your heart? You go to God with those goals and say, God, this is what you put on my heart. I'm going to go after them. I'm going after them. By faith, I'm going to believe you. And watch God work. Ezra 8 to 18. And the good hand of our God was upon us as they brought us a man of understanding. The good hand of God. Let me say last of all this. I read a few minutes ago where he said that God would be there and that he would be with them in power and in wisdom. Let me say this, last of all. What you need in your life is not only the, the word of God and the good hand of God, but you need the wisdom of God. You're going to make a lot of decisions in the ministry in your life. Decisions that not only affect you and your family, listen to me now, but affect other people and their families. I'm going to say it again. You're going to make decisions in your ministry that not only affect you and your family, but affect other people and their families. And you don't make, you don't give out counsel flippantly. Oh, yeah, I think I ought to do this and this and this and this. And this. No, 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 no. You go to the good God of heaven. If any man, and I know in this passage, I'm quoting, so that I'm not ripped apart later on. I know it's talking about trials and troubles in James chapter 1, going through temptations and trials. But you'll go through the temptations and trials too, so it works there too. But he said, if any man lack wisdom, let him go to God. Who giveth to all men liberty and braideth not. Go ask God. And the Bible says, he will give it to you liberally. He will give it to you. Now, if you don't ask, you won't get. It's that simple. Gentlemen, you ought to have on your prayer list. Every day you're praying, God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom. You need wisdom to make decisions. You need wisdom to lead your family. You need wisdom to lead a church. You need wisdom to lead a ministry in a church. Look, that's our problem. Too many men are leading it with their own thoughts and their own wisdom instead of having heavenly wisdom. 
See, God knows what's happening now. God knows what's happening tomorrow. And God knows what's happening in the future. And if you'll let him give you wisdom, he'll allow you to make decisions that'll help you. You may have to ask someone to leave the church who's reprobating and causing havoc. And it may cost you two or three families. But it may well be that God knows you need them gone so he can give you 25 families to take the place. And that person, if they just stayed with the split and taken everybody away. And you've got to have wisdom to make decisions in your life and in your ministry and in your church and in your family and in other people's families. People are going to come to you as a man of God and ask you for counsel. What do you think I ought to do, preacher? I, I, that's a good question. Do whatever you want to do. What do you tell them? Somebody comes to you and says, look, my husband is cheating on me. Should I leave him? What are you going to tell him? My child is on drugs. Should I kick him out of my house or let him stay? And I could go on and on and on. My daughter has become a lesbian. Do I kick her out of my home or let her stay in my home? My son has, is gay. And he says he's saved and still loves Jesus, but what do I do with him? What are you going to tell him? Now, that's where the rubber hits the road. doesn't matter what anybody else says. You can't call everybody in the chickens and say, what do I do? You have to answer those people while they're sitting across the desk from you asking you questions. But if you spent time every day, you hear me, young man, you spent time every day on your knees before an almighty God saying, God, Give me wisdom. Oh, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. I need you, Jesus. I need your power, and I need your presence, and I need you to guide my heart, guide my mind. Oh, I yield my mind to you this morning or tonight, that you'll t- and you'll take control of my mind. and Set a watch for my mouth, keep the doors of my lips, and only speak the things I ought to speak. Oh, Spirit of the God, I need you. Oh, Spirit of God, I need you. And God, I need wisdom. And you said, if any man like wisdom, then ask to God to give to all men liberty and bread, and not it shall be given him. Please give me heavenly wisdom from above so I can help these people. God, I can't help them without you. I can't help this ministry without you helping me with giving me wisdom. And it's amazing what will come out of your mouth when those people talk. And you'll go, wow, where'd that come from? Wow, I didn't even know I had that in me. Well, it wasn't you. It was him speaking through you, giving you wisdom that you never knew you had. And people will say, man... That guy's young. He's got wisdom way beyond his years. But when that happens, don't get haughty and think you're somebody. Because, see, I know both of you, and you ain't nobody. You're like me. We, we all got major issues that we need to deal with. And those young ladies sitting next to you, they know you ain't got no, you got major <laughs> issues too. We all know, see. Fork in a yard's one thing. Some of your issues, that's just minor stuff. <laughs> Ripping the ref, I mean, I'm sorry. Okay. Ask for wisdom. You know what? Let me tell you something else to do. You want wisdom? Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that won the souls is, fill in the blank. Church, fill in the blank. He that won the souls is wise. He that one of souls is. Gentlemen, never get away from reaching people with the gospel. Man. 
Never get away from it. Brother Moon, that don't work anymore. Not unless you work it. <laughs> if you've never witnessed to them, they'll never get saved. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe every, some are going to get saved and some are not. Okay? And, and there, look, if I was a Calvinist, I'd never go soul winning, Brother Mark. I'd never go soul winning. I'd never go. Why go? One's going to get saved, going to get saved. One's going to hell, going to hell. Why waste my time out there in the heat trying to do it? Why run buses and pick up boys and girls with it 90 degrees outside, sweltering in that bus? They're going to get saved or they're going to go to hell. It doesn't matter anyway what I do or say. Now, that's my philosophy. I know the Calvinists don't believe the way I believe about that, but I don't believe the way they believe about Calvinism either. I know this. Jesus is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, as you quoted tonight so well. All, A-L-L. That don't mean some's out and some's in. Win souls. Stay on the soul winning trail. Never let it get old. Look, I've been doing this. I'm 61 years old. I started soul winning when I was about uh, 18, about 19 years old. I started soul winning, 18 and 19. I'm 61. I'm still trying to win souls just like I did when I was 19. In fact, it's more because I have more time to do it now than I did then. I'm saying, gentlemen, stay after souls. Now, let me close with this statement. As a church, you, we need to be prayerfully supporting these young men and their wives. The devil is going to go after them tooth and toenail, brother. No bars help. We have an obligation to pray one for another. But these young men, because they're being ordained and they're in the ministry, they're going to have a lot more of, an, of a bullseye on them than some other people are. The bullseye is going to be square on their back. And the devil is going to blow them away if, we, if, if they're not careful. And we as a church need to pray for God's power, for his presence on them. We need to pray that God will protect them and use them, that God will fill them with his spirit. We need to pray that God will give them wisdom and that God will empower them and use them. And I want to challenge you tonight as a church. Now listen. I'm challenging you now as a church, not just these men and their wives. I'm challenging you as a church. Let's commit to pray and love these men, to prayerfully love them and support them all the time. Will they make mistakes working here on the staff? Yeah. Will they do some dumb thing? Yeah. You know why? Because they're human. You ever done anything dumb? Yeah. You know why? Because you're human. Just don't run them in the ground. Let's run to Jesus. Just don't run to our neighbor and gossip about them. Let's run to Jesus and talk about them to him. And you'd be surprised. Remember the old song? You can talk about me all you want, but I'll talk about you on my knees. You can talk about me all as much as you please, but I'll talk about you on my knees. And that's what we ought to do, talk about them on their knees to God Almighty, the one who can help them and fill them and use them. Gentlemen, I'm proud of you. I'm thankful that you're a graduate from our college. I'm thankful that you both found a woman to stand by your side and to love you and to care for you. I'm grateful. I'm proud of you. But gentlemen, there's a devil that's real. And he can, he can take anybody in this room down. Me, you, pastor, any of us, he can take you down. That's why you need to stay in the book. That's why you need to stay in the book. That's why you need, and I didn't mention stand on your knees, but obviously that's a, that's a given, all right? And you just get to stay on your knees and get the power of God on your life and the presence and the blessing of God. 
And then you need to beg God for wisdom and stay after souls. And watch God give you wisdom to do the work he's called you to do. Let's bow our heads and pray. Pastor, if you'll make your way up. Father, I am so grateful for this privilege I've had just to share a little bit of a different message.